Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Senator Kerry Hicks, an educator, empowering leader, and passionate elected official committed to Oklahoma families, education reform, and being the change she hopes to see in the world. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. I'm here today with Senator Kerry Hicks, who is a mother, an educator, and a lifelong Oklahoman. The daughter of a public school teacher, she graduated with degrees in mass communications and political science, as well as master's degrees in both leadership management and early childhood education. Hicks currently serves as an adjunct professor at at Oklahoma City University and in 2019 was named a Gaylord McCasland Education Fellow by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. Among her many leadership roles, she works to equip teachers with STEM integration to prepare the next generation of Oklahomans for the changing workforce. She was also recently selected as one of the journal records 40 under 40. So Senator Kerry Hicks, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad to have you here. We've <laughs> seen we've seen one another at several events around town. Yeah. Uh, usually those involving music performances of some kind because my wife, Christy Gossett, is a music teacher. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> and she's always very good at engaging um, those of us in this building on coming out to see how fantastic our public schools are doing. Um, and I mean, more holistically speaking, I mean, a well-rounded education obviously integrates music at every level. Yes, and I know if she were in the room, which she kind of is in spirit, she would agree with that statement (laughs) wholeheartedly. So, well, as you may know, the the show's called the Live Your Purpose podcast, and really it's very simple. The idea is to find local folks in the metro area who are living on purpose. They're living out their why, and they're making a contribution of some kind, and then they just tell their story. Okay, so we start with a kickoff question, and you've selected yours, which I think is going to be a lot of fun, and then we just see where the conversation takes us. Yeah, okay? that sounds great. All right, so Senator Hicks, what makes you want to get out of bed in the morning? <laughs> um, there, there are so many reasons um, that make me want to jump out of the bed in the morning to get my day started. Um, most notably would be my three kids. So I'm a mother of three. They are five, three, and two years old. And ultimately, I think when I um, dream about their future and igniting their passions, um, ultimately I look at the state that we're currently living in and I I just recognize that many parts of it are broken. And so now, obviously, serving in the capacity as a state senator, it really allows me some opportunities to dream a little bigger, um, to talk about the changes that we absolutely have to make in order to make sure every every child has the opportunity to thrive. Yeah, I love that. And so, right, and, and you're, you're directly connected with the work that you're doing. And, and that's one of the reasons Christy and I, of course, also thought you would be a wonderful interview. What is it about the work that you're doing today that connects back to your children and, and, and really your background in teaching and other related yeah. fields? Well, I basically when I had made the decision to run, mm-hmm. um, I felt like I had exhausted all the resources I had available to me to really elevate our message um, of what is happening in our classrooms across the state. 
Uh, we have limited resources, um, you know, and ultimately our class sizes are spiraling out of control. Yeah. Um, we are unable to retain our well-educated and well-trained workforce. Um, and there's a lot of, of compounding factors, if you will, for, for those um, co-occurring events. Um, and so, you know, I had, I had served on our negotiations team, I was uh, building site uh, representative and, you know, ultimately felt like our message was still falling on deaf ears and needed a louder microphone, if you will, to really talk about the challenges in education. So I decided to run for office. Um, almost, you know, number two, if you, if, if you have to assign, you know, number one, number two priorities, um, my son, who's five, has type one diabetes. And so when people talk about you know, the rising cost of healthcare, we are actually living that. We're experiencing it on a deeply personal level. Mm. Um, insulin obviously continues to kind of dominate some of the headlines as far as it being one of the most expensive um, drugs currently on the market, and it's absolutely essential to sustain my son's life. And so, you know, I mean, for, for both of those reasons and recognizing not only that my profession was, um, you know, really starting to become eroded um, and realizing that our American healthcare system and the other kind of outside factors, if you will, on prescriptive medications um, and the costs associated with those, just absolutely, um, I felt as if there were no other alternative than to seek office to try and be a part of the solution. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and in the work that you're doing, one of the questions that I wanted to ask was, what is a typical day like? For those of us that don't know, I'm in the building. By the way, I'm on location here in the state capitol yes. with Senator Hicks. What is it like on a daily basis to, to work here? No two days are ever the same. Okay. Um, and, you know, to, to kind of rewind a little bit, mm -hmm. um, you know, my, my husband and I both work multiple jobs. Uh, to be able to afford insulin and to be able to make sure that our healthcare uh, costs are covered. I see. Um, mm -hmm. And so my day usually begins around 4 a.m. Um, wow. I teach uh, English as a second language online. And so I usually have um, about four to six classes under my belt before I ever even leave the house. No way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we get our three kids ready for school. Mm -hmm. um, and then if we're in session, um, usually in the building or off-site at our first event, you know, no later than 8, 8.15. Um, and then, I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty much a, a typical 12-hour day from there mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. whatever committee work looks like, policy meetings, community events, dinners, um, you know, ultimately, those are all very essential components of being able to make an informed decision as a senator. Um, I know lobbyists can sometimes get a bad name, but I mean, they truly are the individuals who can give us information that we wouldn't have access to otherwise. And um, obviously, if they, you know, are, are taking compensation from a specific entity, you know, the first question I always ask is, who's against this? Because some individuals will not be completely honest or transparent and those tend to be the individuals I don't I don't work with on mm -hmm. a regular basis yeah. um, but there are a lot of people in this building that will say you know here here's the opposite side of this argument here's where they're coming from um, you know and and then at that point it really does empower you to, to make an informed decision so um, the day is long <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I the imagine. years are short uh -huh. uh, but you know session has its own kind of pace you know the first three weeks are heavily involved with committee work I'm on the education uh, health, health and human services committee the transportation committee and then 
um, a subcommittee on select agencies, which is maybe my favorite to serve on. <laughs> okay, okay, tell me about that one. Yeah, sure. That's, uh, it, um, we kind of oversee the entities that are non-appropriated agencies. So this is everything from the Bull Weevil Commission um, to, to TSET. Um, so they have varied scale. Um, you know, the cosmetology board is always something that I feel like is very tangible for individuals to grasp onto. Yeah. Um, they ultimately operate off of their um, licensure fees. And so they sometimes pay back into our general revenue operating fund and don't take an appropriation from the legislature, which, hmm. um, I mean, we're truly just there to make sure that their financials are sound and that they have, you know, their long-term strategies and their missions are being carried out. Um, so it's it's pretty fun work to kind of, you know, comb through financial statements with the fine-tooth comb and make sure that we're, we're not missing anything and that we're being um, very responsible with, you know, the, the fees that individuals are paying in for these agencies, we want to make sure that those dollars are being ma maximized and not abused. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things too that I wanted to ask you was um, about, um, well, some of the challenges, and, and you've mentioned some of them, but before we went on air, uh, there was a, a conversation that you needed to have, and it involved teaching. I'll just say that the field of education, and I'm telling you, I heard the teacher come out, and I'm around <laughs> a lot of teachers, and it just, it's good for my soul to hear that, but also, you know, I hear your experience, I hear your, um, your passion for the field, and I hear your, um, your real dedication to making a difference. Well, thank you. Yeah, and so when when you run into some of those frustrating elements, and not they don't have to be described specifically, but when you run into frustrations and and you know this isn't they didn't do what they said they were going to do kind of thing, how do you regroup and keep going? You know, I think four years before I ever even made the decision to run, I was consistently taking personal time away from the classroom. Um, to engage the lawmakers mm -hmm. with what I felt like were um, needs that needed to be addressed. Um, and obviously, as I said before, you know, I felt as if it was falling on deaf ears or that there just wasn't the political will um, in order to affect those changes that we were seeking. And so now, obviously being in this capacity, it, there are times that it just completely makes sense as to how bad the conditions have gotten inside our classroom because individuals who are making decisions at this state level don't have the experience that I do. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, to really be able to speak to the logistical implementation of some of the things that they're seeking to change, um, you know, I'll just give a, a very simple example. You know, when we talk about integrating technology in the classroom, um, you know, it's not just as simple as getting a class set of iPads. Mm -hmm. You have to have a charging cart. Do we have a port and a bandwidth capability to be able to sustain the iPads for an entire classroom? I mean, these are the logistical um, implications of something so straightforward as going one-to-one -one technology. And a lot of the times, it's not as though the administration um, or you know others are engaged in that conversation, mm -hmm. but the responsibility falls squarely on the shoulders of that classroom teacher. And so we just have to be mindful that there's more to the story um, on policy changes that we seek in this building um, than just, well, you know, it'll be optional or it'll be mandatory or mm -hmm. we're gonna change this one word from a may to a shall. You know, those mm -hmm. can have far-reaching consequences, if you will, 
Um, and implementation is everything. And if we haven't thought through everything, then it can continue to exacerbate um, some of the challenges that I feel like we've, we've yet to address on um, relieving those class sizes mm -hmm. and feeling as if you're the only one in that building who cares about, you know, potentially the 32 sets of eyes that are staring at you every day. Yes. Yeah. And those of us that are in the field or love ones that are, I've, I've been both. I've been a TA and a mentor and done a lot with youth in schools in different ways. And, and as I've said, my wife's a teacher and we know lots of teachers. <laughs> and so what you're saying is I'm like, yes, 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 yes. These, these are very similar, uh, familiar concerns that many teachers have. Mm -hmm. and, and to know that you're thinking, I'm, I'm using these words strategically, tactically, you're planning, you're looking at the underlying factors that are going on. Mm -hmm which are complex. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's a lot of well-intentioned policy that yeah, we see. sure. Um, that, you know, I might 1,000% align with the intent of a bill, mm -hmm. um, but then when you really try and roll that out across the spectrum, you know, well, what does this actually mean and what does it actually look like and how does this impact, you know, whatever it is, not just on education, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it might not be the government's role um, you know, and I am, I'm a Democrat, but, you know, I definitely believe in a responsible regulation, um, and especially when it comes down to education and public in, public in particular, obviously, mm -hmm. um, I just am, am frustrated by the amount of mandates um, that we currently are required to follow, and we've reduced funding over time. So, mm -hmm. you know, we've increased um, the accountability factor, if you will, mm -hmm. um, but we're not willing to invest the amount of appropriate funds to make those mandates um, succeed. And I think that's where, you know, I'm always trying to weigh the factors, and you know, I think this is a really good policy. You know, how much is this going to cost? You know, oh, it's it's not going to cost anything. I'm like, well. It will. I mean, if if teachers have to go to additional professional developments, who's covering the cost of that? Mm -hmm. Is the district offering it for free? Are we giving the district money to be able to to get somebody who's of substance, or does this translate to an online module that's not really going to get at the heart of what we want? Yeah. Um, so, you know, that that kind of stuff can get complex. But um, you know, I really just. My heart is still in the classroom with all of my students that I've had, and thankfully yeah. some of them have come to visit me. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And okay, I'm now can you tell us about <laughs> any of those that you know that are that seem like you can share with us? Yeah. So okay. um, I got my new office um, about a week before session started last year, and so there wasn't a lot of time to get things kind of lined out before just the chaos of session began. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, I've been able to put up. Um, things that make it still feel like my classroom, um, you know, my uh, class pictures for all seven years that I was in the classroom, different posters and sayings that I had on the, the walls in my classroom. And so one of my students um, came up last year on their um, spring break just to say hi and um, check out my new office. And it was really awesome to be able to point to her picture in kindergarten, and she's now in sixth grade. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. That's so, really special. Um, it is. I mean, just thinking about the far-reaching impact mm -hmm. that every educator has on the lives of our students uh, makes me proud. It makes me mm -hmm. feel honored to be able to, to speak to that in this building yeah. in that capacity. Well, it certainly shows. Yeah. Well, know. thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, it shows. And, and that's, uh, that's really a cool story. I, I'm privy to a lot of those stories at home from, from my wife. She's been doing this for like 20 years. Yeah. And uh, so she knows adults that have children now that she taught. 
music and some of them went on to college and you know went to on scholarship or then maybe they didn't go to college but they've kept music and they remembered her and it's it's really cool to bump into your students yeah Yeah. it's a legacy you know it's uh, it's really important work so well well, wonderful okay well the conversation can go any direction so i don't have to lead it (laughs) right so uh do you have a specific direction you want to take it next because i have a line of questions if not sure okay you know i you know i think the frustrating part about where I, where I currently am right yeah. now yeah. Um, in this particular legislative session, I spent um, you know the entire summer and into the fall months kind of crafting and creating some interim studies, um, which are um, a really uh, really neat opportunity to try and you know go in with just a question and see where the the data takes you. Um, and obviously, you know, from my time in education, you know, you you never want to to start out with a question that you think you already know the answer to, you know, because of your bias. And so mm-hmm. um, some of the things I spent the most time um, researching and trying to understand over the summer, unfortunately, didn't even get a, a hearing this year. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it, it continues to be, um, you know, an uphill battle in making sure that um, individuals understand the compelling nature of of what we're trying to accomplish and so just for example um, when I was pregnant with our third uh, study that was released indicated that Oklahoma has and had and still has the highest rate of infant and maternal mortality Mm. uh, higher than third world countries in fact and so you know you can't read a statistic like that and not be moved to action um, and obviously at that point, you know, I was still in the classroom, um, but it's something that continues to haunt me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we worked on two really great pieces of legislation, one that was aimed more specifically at preventing um, infant suffocation, strangulation, um, in removing crib bumpers uh, from the shelves of, um, you know, our, our stores here in Oklahoma, but also preventing and prohibiting online sales of those products. This is something that pediatricians have been recommending against for 20 years, and yet we still know that in Oklahoma, um, 27 individuals have lost their life um, in the past decade to these crib bumpers. And so it does pose a real threat as we're looking at ways to you know, support babies and to support yeah. parents or grandparents that are raising these babies in Oklahoma. I think there's an assumption that if you're buying a product from a well-respected baby store, um, that it must be safe. It must be safe for my child. And so, in fact, there's a class action lawsuit against Pottery Barn Kids and Tulsa that's currently in the works from a family who lost their son. Um, And again, it was the assumption that this is a reputable, Mm -hmm. child-friendly brand, and we trusted that this was a safe product to use in our crib at home and our son paid the ultimate price. So um, that did not get a hearing, um, but we Mm. continue to remain um, vigilant in knowing that it is the right thing to do um, and that, you know, ultimately it might not have gotten heard this year, but we'll continue to raise awareness around it um, and and see what we can do in the coming years. And the other one was really on... um, you know, we know that healthy moms make healthy babies. Mm-hmm. And so currently, um, we only have a 60-day window um, for postpartum coverage 
um, for individuals that are on our Medicaid system. Over 60% of the births in Oklahoma last year were on our Medicaid system. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so, I mean, this is kind of compelling mm -hmm. data, if you will, and saying, yeah. you know, here's a link. Um, if we continue to have the highest maternal mortality rate, mm -hmm. then where's the gap? Mm -hmm. What are we missing here? And right. so, um, other states have applied for what's called an 1115B waiver. It's through our CMS um, program and the healthcare authority would, would administer it through our Medicaid program to just extend that postpartum coverage for up to 12 months. It seems very common sense and very straightforward that, um, you know, I, I go back to my own um, postpartum experiences with all three of my kids. They were all three very different experiences. And so as you look at the, su the support that, you know, that mother, that family might need um, and how that changes after each birth, um, I just can't even imagine not having health insurance 60, 60 days or six weeks postpartum um, because uh, for mental health reasons and, and others, mm -hmm. um, physical reasons, yes. you're not even, um, medically released after six weeks if you've had a cesarean so it just doesn't make it just doesn't make sense mm -hmm. um, but ultimately um, I was told that it would be too costly um, so they were unwilling to move forward with that um, but I you know I just push back on saying you know is is it more costly to lose the life of a mother or lose the life of a child who would then you know potentially have a huge economic impact on our state they're paying taxes they're working they're healthy you know I mean there's just there's no way to quantify that loss of life um, and so you know we'll continue to raise awareness and and talk about why um, you know maybe there's a compromise to be found um, but if we're we're serious about wanting Oklahomans to have great access to thriving opportunities these two issues are, are no-brainers for me so we'll just continue to try and move the minds and hearts of those that um, you know have the power to to hear the bills mm -hmm. well, that's fantastic thanks for sharing at length that yeah. these, these two particular bills that are so near and dear to your heart and mm -hmm. that you've, you've done your homework on <laughs> and that are you know frustrating at the same time and, and they still and you described how you're being resilient with them you're moving forward you're looking for other ways to keep moving forward and, and trying to get them passed yeah. what are a couple of uh, bills or just other wins we could say that you've sure. been a part of that mean a lot to you yeah, I mean, there are so many daily wins mm -hmm. that don't ever even come from legislation. Okay. Um, which is, I mean, legislation for me is kind of the, the last stop, if you will. If you can engage individuals, specifically agencies, in asking them about specific policies or procedures that they can change through their internal rulemaking process, mm. um, that's been really, really fantastic. Um, so I, I really um, looked to, to learning more about you know, who our community partners are um, for the areas that I'm most interested in, which you know, are definitely families. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Pivot, OKC, I don't know if you're familiar with that, that organization. Am. Yeah, and I volunteer, by the way. I'll give them oh, a I plug. I not there, <laughs> but at CSU Youth oh, Shelter. Yes. So they know each other, and I, I'm a youth mentor there yes. at CSU. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yes, absolutely. Um, CSU, Pivot, um, these organizations work specifically with youth and making sure that, um, you know, if they're experiencing some kind of crisis or there's some kind of um, unmet need, um, they're really 
kind of geared towards you know rallying around this kind of holistic approach to yes. making sure that they they have a warm place to lay their head at night, um, clothes if necessary, food in their belly. I mean, just really um, doing some incredible work. Um, and so, you know, when when it does feel hard in this building, I have to remind myself of the really great things that are happening outside of these walls. Um, you know, and another really great program that I just cannot express my, you know, um, appreciation for is Remerge, mm -hmm. um, which is ultimately a, a diversion program for mothers. Yeah. Um, and they have a brand new um, building that, you know, it's a, it's a public-private partnership, if you will, um, and they've got a lot of um, MOUs or memorandums of understanding with um, specific you know, legal and courts, and oh, you know, okay. I probably couldn't explain um, the complexities of all of it. But I mean, they you know have a really great curriculum where they're working with individuals who have um, substance abuse charges, mm -hmm. um, in you know learning how to get their kids back and how to be prepared to be a parent. Mm -hmm. You know, once they complete the program, um, and their stories and their personal testimonies of individuals that have completed the program um, are just so powerful in that their recidivism rate is like 0 0.01. I mean, it's just phenomenal work. Um, and I think it really speaks to the fact that if you give individuals a good education and a great opportunity um, and you kind of build out the resources that are going to be necessary um, for sobriety, mm -hmm. then you really do enable them to have power over their lives and agency is yeah. everything in, in order to be a parent. Yes. You can't care for another if you have unmet needs in yourself. Um, and so it just, it's pretty powerful. Um, when I walked through on my tour of the new location, um, there was a mother breastfeeding. Oh. You know what I mean? That just yeah. keeping moms and babies together <clears throat> yep. is so important. Um, for all of the developmental milestones that we know are necessary to not repeat that cycle. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and Christy and I talk about that quite a bit and, and the importance of, of family and keeping them together and, and the sad stories when that doesn't happen in, right. in families. And excuse me a minute. <clears throat> By the way, there is some construction yeah. going on. If you didn't know, <laughs> if you can hear that over these microphones, I'm not sure if you can. It's amazing construction going on in the state capitol, but it's kind of loud. It is loud. And we're in a quiet part of the building right now, right? <laughs> I know. We, we had to change locations because our office is just unusable right now. But, oh. um, but that's okay. It's, uh, I think that completion timeline is 2022. Okay. Um, so we're almost there. <laughs> almost. I love that attitude. That is an optimistic attitude right there. Uh, absolutely true. So, yeah, but I was saying, I, I wonder if some dust is like shaking out and I'm, I'm choking on it a little bit. But, <laughs> but uh, no, so yeah, Christy and I talk about that a lot, keeping families together mm -hmm. and, and what that does for kiddos. And as a person in long-term sobriety myself from mm -hmm. alcoholism, this is 14 years for me. And my wife, thank you. My wife went through all of that until she had enough and she left with our young girls. And so we've been on that side of it. Mm -hmm. That was the right decision for her, those that don't know my story. And it was right for me, too. And we got back together after several months of sober living house and lots of therapy and 12 steps. And we have a much better life than we ever could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And it's because of those services and those people in our lives <clears throat> and those opportunities for sobriety. Mm -hmm. Sobriety, for those that are in addiction, it has to come first. It has to come first. You don't go get a job and get back with your spouse or your girlfriend. Get sober first. Get clean. 
yeah. and then start your new life. Yeah, and, and I mean, so that kind of brings me to, you know, another area that obviously um, was very important um, before taking office and continues to be something that I'm not seeing a whole lot of action. Lots of conversations about criminal justice reform, mm -hmm. but um, yeah. the the legislative will has somewhat kind of stalled out, which hmm. um, I don't I don't fully understand. I know we want to be very careful, obviously, about um, changing certain things um, that could have you know negative consequences to the general public. Um, you know, we want to weigh those decisions very very carefully. Um, but one of the bills that um, moved through you know both Senate and floor last year with um, no opposition and is hopefully awaiting a hearing and committee this year. Um, Senate Bill 969 is just about, I mean, it's a common sense bill on criminal justice reform. We know that individuals who are released um, have staggering fines and fees that they have to pay back. And depending on their level of um, healing or sobriety um, in their journey, this could be the tipping point to mm -hmm. um, ultimately spiral. Um, and so, this specific measure is about um, failure to appear. Mm -hmm. And so if an individual is currently in custody somewhere in the state, um, whether that's a county or city, um, and they are also supposed to be appearing somewhere else before a court, they get a fine or a penalty um, for not being there, failure to appear. Mm -hmm. However, I, I mean, it's physically impossible for an individual to leave holding <laughs> to make their court appearance. Yeah, that's insane. Um, so, you know, this is just one way in which we think um, it, it's smart reform. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's ultimately acknowledging that there, there's a problem here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if individuals are, are in holding or are in custody, then, you know, we need to make sure that the, the court is not paying a price for that because, you know, they're holding the hearing regardless. Mm -hmm. It seems as though, you know, some kind of communication would transpire that that might be able to enable you know some of that to, to rework it but I understand it's you know it's oh, yeah. all about yeah. separate in entities and agencies and yes. you know some of that needs to remain separate but mm -hmm. I, I think when collaboration makes sense we should mm -hmm. we should be asking you know why why these things are all held separately and yeah. and if there's a way that we can do a more integrated approach and you know, I think it's better for for people um, and so um, we'll see we'll see if we can get it out of the house this year, um, but I mean it's it's not a it's not a controversial criminal justice reform mm -hmm. bill. Um, it's pretty straightforward in, yeah. in trying to reduce or eliminate some of the the debt um, that individuals are faced with when when they're released. Well, this is just me talking, so don't listen to me too <laughs> close. But I, I'm, I'm thinking, what about a Zoom room? You know, and and just <laughs> just have them. So I'm not trying to solve the problem, but so much of our criminal justice system seems to be punitive. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of punitive uh, uh, laws out there and processes out there, in my opinion, designed to keep people in it, you know. Mm -hmm. And as someone who escaped most of that in my, you know, due to privilege, I believe is part of it, but uh, not getting caught is part of it too, you know, with my past and, and drug use and alcoholism and drinking and driving and other stuff that I'll admit to. Um, some people get caught and they get caught in the system and one of the, I can't imagine being caught in that kind of thing. I can't appear and yet I get fined and, yeah. and all that mess. Well, and, and I mean, I think, you know, again, like just to go back to my background in education, mm -hmm. you know, you always seek first to understand. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think there's so much power in being heard um, and being seen in, in whatever capacity. And so, 
truly when I started engaging in conversation about criminal justice reform, you know, it was important for me to, to not be speaking um, out of ignorance. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I do have a very limited background as it relates to courts and mm -hmm. the, those proceedings and procedures and policies that impact the courts. And um, and so, you know, I have I have spent a lot of time. I've I've toured Mabel Bassett. Um, engaging their folks with you know as many questions as I could possibly think of you know well what would I what would I need if I were in the situation and, and how would I move forward and how do I get there and, and you know are you guys doing these kinds of things um, and then you know I, I most recently two weeks ago I went to Joseph Harp um, which happens to be the largest uh, mental health facility in the state um, it's 30 acres um, it's massive um, it doesn't just have um, inmates with mental health needs, but it also has a um, what they call a J unit or a juvenile unit. So that was mm. a really, really tough experience um, to see faces that are very much um, familiar. Um, to be in that place was very jarring. Um, but you know, the the one thing I came away from those experiences is, uh, you know, there are a lot of really great things going on in our correction system. Mm -hmm. um, they are continuing to find opportunities um, for employment and train to release, and right. they're trying to expand their um, training programs through our career tech system to make sure that individuals have access to higher wage jobs than just an hourly. Um, amount um, because you know what we know is that if you have to pay back these fines and fees you can't do it off of an yeah. hourly um, job yeah. and so um, I've been really impressed by some of the things that that are currently going on and even most recently um, Mabel Bassett is going to be launching um, what's called Rise and it's through um, Ms. Zuckerberger's um, work on training individuals for IT and tech jobs, um, which will be a massive opportunity for the females that we have incarcerated there, and it is specific to women. Oh, wow. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, my biggest frustration after touring both of the facilities um, was that they have more opportunities in the male prison. Um, we know that we have more women <laughs> incarcerated than men. Yes. Um, and so my assumption is that if we had at least equal opportunity for training um, and for earning potential while individuals are incarcerated, that that might change. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm continually um, impressed with the corrections willingness to, you know, move in a more fluid direction where it makes sense to try and um, stop and prevent some of these problems from ever occurring. And so um, they are really doing some incredible work. Um, unfortunately, when budget decisions impacted everything in our state, you know, those career tech programs that were being offered were severely limited. Mm. Um, and so we, we know we still have to restore that funding. It's, it's not happening at the level it needs to be to really reach everyone while they're with us. So, um, you know, those are, those are the kinds of things that I think help in, in the policy-making conversations because you know, sometimes there's um, legislation that's, you know, a, a 
solution in search of a problem. That it might not actually exist, but they've heard a story about something and you go, I was there. Did you talk to someone? <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh no, well, you know, I mean, right. like, come on, are we really? Yeah. Let's get the information first. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I just hope I, you know, I continue to do my homework before mm -hmm. filing policy because it really does have far-reaching impacts um, for, for good or for bad. And so um, I think all of us that are in an elected capacity owe that to the people we represent mm -hmm. to make sure that we really are um, engaging individuals in dialogue um, that maybe presents an opportunity where legislation isn't even needed um, to achieve the ends that we're trying to, to get at. So. Yeah. Lots of lots of different ways that you can impact change as a as a state lawmaker, not just through policy. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing all that yeah. again. <laughs> and I, I want to say that I'll take just a second. I do this every once in a while. Those entrepreneurs that are listening, as some of you are, uh, who knows? Maybe there's an opportunity there. And, yeah. and I've and I've threatened to do this before. I use the word threaten lightly. Uh, something like Homeboy Industries for Oklahoma, with Father Greg Boyle. And I, you know, that's idealistic, and I am an idealistic dreamer, but I also uh, can help to make things happen. So those entrepreneurs that are interested in social justice reform, and there are some out there that I already know they're doing work, especially with, the, with young people. But, uh, you know, poetic justice is in Mabel Bassett, too. They're working with the women and helping them write poetry and, and reclaim parts of their lives, you know. I've sat they, in, and I've gone. They also and, have them, <laughs> which this, this program for me, I just... Um, I love it for so many reasons. So they they have a dog handling program oh, at Mabel do. Bassett. Okay. Um, and obviously animal therapy is a really powerful yeah. experience for many different things. Um, and so when I was speaking with um, the ladies that were in the program, you know, they were like, it, it made me love again. Mm. I have been so disappointed and so degraded to a point where I didn't even see value in myself. Um, and obviously made some bad decisions along the way. Um, and I just felt like, you know, I didn't have any worth left to give, mm -hmm. but training with this animal um, has not only given me a purpose, but it's also reignited those parts that I thought were gone um, yeah. of love and how it can be reciprocated. Um, and so it's just a, it's a really cool program. Mm -hmm. um, they teach them how to be dog handlers and they have animals on site um, through local shelters um, to, to rehab dogs, um, to be able to be reintegrated and you know, go back to the kennels and you know, potentially be adopted. Um, it's just a really cool, very creative partnership that I think has a lot of tertiary benefits that might not be, you know, this is not our primary goal, but mm -hmm. you know, these are the ways in which it is impacting, you know, our ladies in a in a really meaningful and deep, deep way. Right. Yeah. And create creativity and innovation is something our state is known for, mm -hmm. you know, in, in certain pockets. And so, uh, there's one of them. And I'm sure we've got <laughs> lots of other creative folks out there with some ideas of their own. Yeah. Well, Senator Hicks, I do want to honor our time, and we have a few more minutes. Okay. But, um, yeah. So. One question I wanted to ask you, and then I'll let you close it however you want to, but sure. I did at least want to ask this to you. Like, what, what do you do for fun? I mean, you've got so much going. You're up at 4 a.m. You're teaching six classes and, and doing amazing things up here at the Capitol. Uh, what do you do when you have time for, for fun and enjoyment? You know, my, my kids are my, yeah. just my bright spot. 
always. And so, you know, whether that's going to the park um, or taking a hike or, you know, just spending time even cooking, mm-hmm. um, you know, those are the kinds of experiences that I remember from my childhood just being, um, you know, happy experiences and time when I just, I mean, there wasn't necessarily a plan for the day, but we were, we got to hang out. Um, and so, I mean, that's what I like to do for fun. My kids are um, very curious, very active, um, you know, constantly in that information-seeking stage. So, um, as a result, we do do a lot of, you know, travel and just, you know, um, trips on a tank pull, if you will, mm-hmm. um, around the town. Um, we, one of our favorite places that we can be spotted at is the library. <laughs> oh, yeah. We spent a lot of time there, too. Yes, I love yeah. to read. Uh-huh. Um, I set a goal for myself last year that I didn't reach, narrowly missed, um, to read 50 books. And I reset that again for this year. Um, last year, I think I made it to 46. That's so a lot of so books. <laughs> okay, but you didn't make the goal. You didn't budge on your goal, did you? No. So okay. uh, coming back this year, we're going to see if we can get to, to 50 books this year. And um, I'm, I'm involved in a book club um, with um, other women that just continue to inspire me mm-hmm. and and um, and challenge me in in new and different ways. And um, you know, I think it's important to just Um, My dad told me growing up, you know, it's important to have something that's just you, you know, outside of your family, outside of your spouse, it's important to have something that's just you. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that that book club has kind of become that that space for me, um, you know, and the challenges that we have going on up here, you know, vary, um, but having a, you know, a great community of individuals that, just bring a totally different perspective to conversation is really, it's fun, you know, it's been fun. So, love to read, love to go to the library, love to hang out around Oklahoma City. Um, you know, when the weather gets nicer, we'll be out camping. Um, but, you know, I just, I think the more that you can connect with humanity and with nature, mm-hmm. um, the better we all are, so. I would second that. <laughs> well, so are there any closing remarks that you had for us to, to, yeah. to shut this down? Yeah, okay, you good. know, um, one of the quotes that I, really live by um, is to be the change you want to see in the world and so I used to tell my students in the classroom um, I mean that's kind of how we closed our day um, because I mean it you know and and really when things had gotten to a point where um, you know I found myself more frustrated than inspired um, it, it became really really clear that I wasn't living by the words that I was hoping my students were. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes taking risks um, that feel a little scary um, can lead to some really rewarding experiences. And so, um, you know, I, I continue to obviously um, want to represent um, my, my colleagues and, and my students and advocate on their behalf. Um, and obviously as, as my family is very young and thinking about their experiences with public education, our healthcare system, um, and just needed reforms for um, a more prosperous and, and better place to live, um, you know, I hope that I can stay true to those values and really just um, being committed to, to the positive change that I hope we can make. Um, when we all work together, um, you know, it's, I think, unfortunately, um, the stories that get the most attention are when we disagree. But I will say that, you know, more times than not, um, things are, are passing with unanimous consent. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that really lends itself to the fact that, that we are trying to engage each other in meaningful dialogue. Because, you know, if, if people feel silenced or, or you know, 
disempowered, mm-hmm. you know, that, that impacts all of us in a yes. really negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, just don't believe in the scarcity mindset. Uh-huh. No. Um, I just don't, I don't know how someone else's happiness potentially impedes mine. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that. Um, and I just, I know because the data shows us that, <laughs> that when we, um, when we all do better, we all do better. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so I just, um, I'm just still in shock and in, in awe to, to be the representative from, from my um, Senate district. I'm the first female. Um, and that is kind of a sad uh, testament to the fact that we, we know that not all uh, pockets of our community have had equal access to representation, and so mm-hmm. that continues to remain to be something that I'm very passionate about, making sure that people don't feel disempowered to where they um, don't uh, participate, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's how things go really wrong. Um, so if we just encourage each other to continue to be in conversation, um, you know, we can we can do hard things when yeah. we talk to one another. Well, I'm all in for what you're discussing. That's what I do every day, too. So, Senator Kerry Hicks, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember... You were meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.